You're listening to Comedy Central. Why have wildfires been so bad in recent years? Well, if you immediately said, duh, climate change, then okay, you're mostly right. It's a disastrous new normal. Catastrophic fires, once contained to one season, now a harrowing year-round battle. We gotta go. A major factor, climate change. In the last 40 years, fall temperatures in California have increased about two degrees, while precipitation has dropped about 30%. Longer dry seasons and extreme events like heat waves that synchronize the risk of fire across enormous landscapes. Climate change is increasing the area burned by the average wildfire, more than doubling it since the 1980s. Since 1930, five of the biggest fires so far out of the top 10 have been this year. California is America fast forward. In other words, a postcard from the future. Oh man, are you serious? California is basically a postcard from the future? That means the future is also on fire? I mean, it also means that the post office is still functioning in the future, so I guess, woo, we did it. And that really is mind blowing. Five of the biggest fires have been this year? That's insane. Although this is 2020, so I'm kind of shocked that all of the biggest fires haven't been from this year. Wildfires might be here to stay, which is awful for humans, but especially bad for trees because they can't move. Humans can just run away from a wildfire, but trees, they're just stuck there. Can you imagine how terrifying that must be for them? Ah! 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 Now, there are a number of ways that climate change makes wildfires bigger and more frequent. For instance, not only does drier wood and leaves make better fuel for fires, but hot weather is also associated with increasing lightning strikes that ignite them. In fact, even small things about climate change can have a huge ripple effect that leads to fires. And I mean, really small things. Millions of drought-stressed trees in California forests were low on sap, which is their natural defense against the bark beetle. These are these little tiny bugs about the size of a grain of rice. Bark beetle infestation is linked to global warming. As the weather gets warmer, they burrow into the bark of pine trees. They kill the pine trees. The pine trees then essentially become sticks of kindling ready to burn. The beetles took down more than 160 million trees, and that's where some of the largest fires are burning today. Yeah, believe it or not, people, the spread of the tiny bark beetle is yet another way that climate change is making wildfires worse. It's also a great reminder that even though climate change is really bad for us humans, for some other creatures, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's like how the Trump administration has been a disaster for most people, but great for various reptiles. And I gotta be honest, I never thought the apocalypse would be caused by such a lame villain. I mean, really guys, beetles are gonna be the reason everything's on fire? Come on, man. The last season of Game of Thrones was bad enough when Daenerys was burning everything down with dragons. Now imagine if she had beetles instead. That shit would make the brand storyline seem exciting. Ugh. Let's get back to the kid who's like a bird or something. I don't watch these beetles. So yes, we have to address climate change. But the truth is, climate change isn't the only reason that these fires have been getting worse. There's also at least a century of government stupidity. 
Controlled fire or prescribed fire is the method of burning certain land to reduce wildfire hazards. This method was developed by Native Americans thousands of years ago. These low-intensity fires called cultural burnings that built much of California's forests. Without controlled burns, forests would have become overgrown and unmanageable. Overgrown forests create a lot of fuel in the form of dry or dead plants. As European colonization grew in California, native tribes were banned from engaging in cultural burning. And over time, state and federal authorities focused on quickly extinguishing any wildfires. For example, the U.S. Forest Service infamous 10 a.m. policy said that any fires that occurred must be put out by 10 a.m. the next day. This limit on fires did little to reduce the fuel that was growing on the forest floor. And even with these policies, California still has fuel loads waiting to be burned from centuries ago, making prescribed burning far more tedious and expensive than previously thought. Yeah, you heard that right. One thing that would help out a lot is if California had been doing more controlled burns, which is basically when you burn a little to prevent a lot from burning later. It's the same way you meet your college friend for coffee so that you don't have to have a three-hour dinner with them. And you know, you have to admit, it's pretty unbelievable that California is now doing what they outlawed the native people from doing. I guess it's kind of hard though to kick somebody off their land and take their advice at the same time. This is my property now, you savage! Oh, also before you go, do you have any landscaping tips, like any like mulching techniques or things that I have to learn? Now, obviously it's bad enough that wildfires are burning millions and millions of trees. But what makes it an especially big problem for people is that we've been giving the fires a lot more of our stuff to burn. Since 1990, 60% of all the homes in the United States have been built in the wildland urban interface. We've got houses in places we didn't used to have houses, and that puts people and, and property at risk. As more houses are built near wildlands, more of them burn. 50 years ago, wildfires destroyed a few hundred structures per year across the United States. Now it's more than 3,000. In California alone, more than six million houses are in wild areas. Because urban housing is so expensive, instead of avoiding these high-risk zones, Californians continue to build in a tinderbox of grass and trees boxed by Windy Canyon. Instead of Smoky Bear in the middle of the woods, we need a Smoky Bear in the middle of suburbia. Uh-uh. You do yourself a favor, Smoky Bear, and you stay out of the suburbs. We don't want Karen calling the cops on you. Hello, 911. There's a bear in my neighborhood and he's, um, he's brown. But yes, one big problem is that more and more people are building homes in the middle of the forest. And let's place the blame where it belongs here, with the Keebler elves. Yeah, these guys made living in the forest look so cool that everyone started doing it. You get to be in a tree making cookies all day, sounds great, but guess what? Those cookies are covered with beetles. And if we're honest here, guys, one of the bigger issues is human arrogance. We just think we can build wherever we go. You know, wherever we build a house, that's our land now. It's the same way people in Florida are always surprised when alligators show up. Oh, there's an alligator in my backyard. No, there's a person in that alligator's house. But the good news is we can fix these problems. Yeah, believe it or not, the wildfires don't have to happen the way they have been. We can stop them if we take action to reduce climate change. We can stop them if we maintain the forests, and we can stop them if we build in environmentally sensitive ways. And as for those beetles, you leave them to me.
As we celebrate Earth, we're also trying to figure out how to save it. Take me for instance. To help cool the planet, before I left my apartment today, I turned the air conditioning on. What? <laughs> no, no, isn't that contributing to global warming? No, oh, stupid, I left the window open, of course. <laughs> but unfortunately for the Earth, not everyone's solutions are as practical as mine. How can humankind tackle global warming? There are some scientists proposing a technique that's similar to the Earth-wearing UV protection sunglasses, apparently, to block out the sun's harmful rays. Basically, what the proposal wants to do is it wants to send airplanes into the stratosphere, effectively spraying it with aerosols into the atmosphere, almost kind of like working like you're adding extra clouds. When you do that, you essentially are trying to block more of that sunlight. So your solution to save the planet is to spray more shit into the atmosphere. <laughs> Let me ask you, what's the point of saving Earth if the whole thing looks like New Jersey? <laughs> and also, also, there's no way that will work. It's like trying to get a coffee stain out of your shirt by using blood, okay? Don't believe every life hack you read on the internet. We don't need to dim the sun. We already have two dim suns. They're called Eric and Don Jr. Hello! High five, Trevor! Come on! Come on! I'm not, I'm not gonna high five you. I'm not gonna high five you. Oh, sorry, didn't know you were a Trump guy. Anyway, <laughs> there's a whole ocean of bad ideas out there. In fact, one of those bad ideas is an ocean. A Silicon Valley firm wants to stop climate change by flooding the desert. Y Combinator unveiled uh, some radical ideas as one of four moonshot scenarios presented to get innovators thinking about climate change remedies. The company says by using 238 trillion gallons of ocean water, it could create millions of algae reservoirs that could combat carbon dioxide. Y Combinator expects the project to cost about $50 trillion. You're gonna move the ocean into the desert? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Unless they do it while Burning Man is happening. In which case, go for it, please take a bath, you dirty hippies. First of all, you can't move an ocean, okay? Have you guys ever tried to move a one-bedroom apartment? You can't buy three boxes of Papa John's and ask your friends to move the Atlantic, okay? But at least these guys are trying to find a solution to save the Earth, okay? Other people are just waving a white flag. Right now, world leaders are exploring a concept for a floating city to guard against flood tsunamis and Category 5 hurricanes. The floating city is made up of six hexagonal islands that would be built with sustainable materials. Each island would hold about 300 people with an entire city being comprised of 10,000 people. Leaders see the project as a viable solution against rising sea levels, climate change, and housing shortages. They will also be built so that they can be towed to a safer location if needed. Wow, living on floating cities. Clearly, we've given up. Okay, we couldn't, we couldn't cut back on plastic straws, so we have to go on a carnival cruise that never ends. That's a nightmare for everyone, except elderly couples trying to have sex with strangers, of course. <laughs> I can't believe we're abandoning land so fast. We're mammals. We're supposed to live on land. No mammals live in the ocean. Dolphins and whales? Yeah, two great examples of fishes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay, you know what, Ronnie? Like, at least these people are trying, all right? If you're so smart, what's your plan to save the Earth? Okay, Trevor, I'm glad you asked. I have a two-step plan here, all right? <laughs> Step one, everyone gives me one million dollars. <laughs> okay, and then what's step two? Step two is I proceed to have a good life or the rest of you drift away on your floating cities. Happy Earth Day, everyone. <laughs> High five me, Trump boy. Let's go.
Because climate change is so gradual, very few people feel the passion to act. Luckily, we have someone on this show who is extremely angry and passionate about this issue and really every issue. Please welcome Ronnie Chang. Trevor, first of all, can you please stop telling everyone that I'm an angry person, right? You made me sound like some kind of raving psychopath. I'm actually a really chilled out kind of guy, all right? How do you think I got my sponsorship with Ambien? <laughs> Ambien, just go to, f to sleep already. <laughs> that being said, nothing wrinkles my ball sack more than people ignoring the threat of climate change. And last weekend, kids around the world decided they were sick of it too. Students in more than 100 countries took to the streets Friday demanding action on climate change. An estimated 150,000 students and adults took part in school walkouts organized mainly through social media and word of mouth. They're calling for, among other things, 100% renewable energy by 2030. The earth is dying. Stop denying. We call for a real national emergency. Hell yeah, kids. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I love seeing young people get fired up about what they believe in. It reminds me of when I was a teenager and I protested the Iraq war by crashing my dad's car into a tree while drunk. <laughs> also, it's pretty slick how they found a good reason to skip school. I mean, the kids were like, with the world the way it is, we cannot in good conscience go to class or do homework. Now let's head down to Cancun and fight climate change with Senior Frog. Whoa, climate, climate. So, I get why these kids are angry. The planet they're inheriting uh, is gonna get destroyed. The same way the microwave I inherited from my grandmother was destroyed by this weird sticky black stuff in it. You know what I'm talking about? It looks like burnt cheese, but it's not. And it looks wet, but when you touch it, it's like hard. Because like some goddamn barbarians didn't know how to use lids when they microwaved their shit. R Ronnie, are you, are you cursing out your deceased grandmother? Trevor, please, okay? This is a private matter between me and my gross dead grandma, all right? <laughs> anyway. The people in charge should be listening to these kids, but instead, they're going ahead with their plan to make as much money as possible while ruining everything in their path. The Trump administration has approved seismic testing along the Atlantic coast from Delaware to mid-Florida. Air guns dragged behind a vessel emit sound waves every 10 seconds that penetrate the seabed. The reflected pulses create a map of the oil and gas deposits below. Noise that can disturb sound-dependent marine life. Dolphins and whales rely on sound to communicate, find mates, uh, find food, and avoid predators. Just when I thought oil companies couldn't be more evil, now they're blasting the ocean with non-stop sonic waves. And you heard what that lady was saying. Whales use sound for everything, like hunting and finding a mate. Imagine being a whale. You think you're hearing all these mating calls. Next thing you know, you're having sex with a boat, okay? And now your whale wife is divorcing you, your life falls apart, and you end up doing flips at SeaWorld for meth. Okay, it happens all the time. Oh, but, but don't worry, okay? If you ask the people who are blasting the sonic waves, Turns out everything's gonna be fine. The government concedes there could be impacts, but not enough to kill or seriously injure marine life. Assurances echoed by the oil industry. We've been coexisting with marine ecosystems for years, and we just haven't seen adverse impacts. Really? You guys haven't seen any adverse impacts? Right now, there's a seagull saying, what was that? I, I couldn't hear you because I have too much oil in my ears. These guys have been spilling so much oil in the ocean, somewhere there's a polar bear being accused of blackface, all right? 
Also, why? It's terrible. That's context. Also, why are we believing anything these oil companies are saying when they haven't even cleaned up the shit they've already done? The longest oil spill in American history has been going on for 15 years now, nonstop, following Hurricane Ivan. Millions of dollars has been spent to try and clean up this disaster. Oh my God, how is the ocean even still water? At this point, it's gotta be just oil and Starbucks cups, right? Seriously, this oil spill is 15 years old. I'm surprised R. Kelly's not all over it by now. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is those kids were right. If we don't take the environment seriously, this plan is gonna end up looking like the inside of my grandma's microwave, okay? So, I'm very proud to announce that today, I too am joining that protest. For the good of the planet, I will also be leaving work for the day, and I'm not coming back for two weeks. Whoa, Ronnie, you, Ronnie, you can't just leave. You're in the middle of a segment, dude. Shut up, Trevor, you corporate shill. Change has to start now and with me, okay? I'm not just gonna sit here and do nothing. I'm gonna go home, put on some pajamas, and then do nothing. Good news, everyone. The election felt like it was the end of the world, but it wasn't. Bad news, the actual end of the world is coming up. The life-threatening and devastating flooding emergency. A crippling drought. Some people driving through flames to escape. Climate change is getting worse. And even though the election was a small victory for the planet, Biden is still going to need to deal with Republicans who don't think fixing it is worth the price tag. The Paris Accord, I took us out because we were going to have to spend trillions of dollars. The American economy, it will die if we get rid of oil and gas. But where are they going to get all the money from? Um, one of the people supporting this says we can just print money, Congressman. I'm not taking economic advice from someone who looks like he spends most of his money on eight balls. But I'll admit, after the way 2020 has gone, I myself have wondered if the world is even worth saving. So I want to know what costs more. Doing something like the Paris Agreement or a Green New Deal, or this kind of plan, which is, wait for it, nothing. Nada. Luckily, we found an expert in doing nothing, Professor Marshall Burke. In a sense, we study the cost of doing nothing, although it, doing nothing here really means doing a lot. I do nothing all the time, and it doesn't cost me a penny. So we have studied this. The Paris Climate Agreement said we want to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. But let's say we do, let's say we do nothing at all. The best estimates suggest we're gonna get about three degrees Celsius, five or six degrees Fahrenheit of warming over the next century. Hotter temperatures reduce agricultural productivity. Uh, hotter temperatures make us less productive at work. And this could cost us tens of trillions of dollars in terms of lost economic output. If I hear trillions of dollars, I'm thinking monopoly money and unicorn tears. So what will Doing nothing costs the average person. You're right, trillion is hard to understand. Uh, so 100 billion is a, is a Jeff Bezos. So a trillion is like 10 Jeff Bezoses. Should we just kidnap Jeff Bezos and make him pay for it? I, I don't know if our research speaks to a kidnapping approach. What Marshall's research does speak to is that if we don't meet the 1.5 degree goal set by the Paris Accord, it could cost $6 trillion in the U.S. alone. And Miami will be underwater, and not in a fun way. If we go past that, the world's GDP drops by 20%, and the Pirates of the Caribbean ride will have direct access to the Caribbean. 
On the other hand, what if we actually did something and passed some of the ambitious proposals laid out in the Green New Deal? People talk about like the Green New Deal, like AOC is gonna personally come in your house and steal your Christmas presents and then replace it with a lump of coal and then come back and replace the lump of coal with a solar panel. A lot of the hand-wringing about the Green New Deal has focused on its potential cost. Imagine you have a loved one who's been diagnosed with a serious illness. Uh, so do we say, oh, it's gonna cost $10,000 to fix grandpa like, let's not bother, $10,000, wow. Uh, no, we think about the benefits of that too. We like having grandpa around. So we need to think of the earth as a grandpa we like, is what you're saying. Yeah, the metaphor works when, it, when you like your grandpa. And we find that the cost of inaction are actually a lot larger uh, than, than doing something about the problem. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. But what do you do if your lazy, deadbeat, ain't shit government refuses to see the logic in these numbers? you take their asses to court, even on the local level. And I talked to one hardened veteran of the U.S. judicial system who is doing just that. I'm actually suing the state of Florida. All we want for them is to cut our carbon emissions. How old are you? <laughs> I am 21 years old. Is it the Doogie Howser situation? I know you don't get that reference because you're 21. <laughs> no, not quite. Okay. How much are you suing them for? Absolutely nothing. You're suing them for nothing? What, do you play lotto for the thrill of the game? Do you go to Vegas just for the weather? So it's kind of like we're suing on behalf of the environment. Could I recommend one thing? Sue to get enough money to buy a submarine. We want them to spend the money on the environment. So we know that it's going to cost us as a society trillions of dollars but if we continue to wait it's only going to be more expensive in the future to pay for those solutions that we need for example the property value of the land that's at risk from five feet of sea level rise is about 27 billion dollars and for those following along that's a quarter jeff bezos but don't get your hopes up you know because there's a chance that florida isn't going to change Florida's still gonna be on your couch, eating on your food while you're at work, asking to borrow your car. Why do you need a car, Florida? You don't have a job. Yeah, so to be candid, if there's no change, if we don't do anything to solve our climate change crisis, Florida faces extinction. On the one hand, if Florida is extinct, then we wouldn't have to deal with Florida anymore. But then again, Florida's part of Earth. And even though it's been hard on us this year, we should still do something to save it instead of nothing. Because I still love Earth. Some people I like live here. Even some people that I love. And I wouldn't trade them for all the Bezoses in the world. You've talked a lot about the pandemic. Now you are talking about climate change. And in your new book, you talk about how to avoid a climate disaster. The question is, is it avoidable? Well, this will be the hardest thing we've ever done because the sources of emissions are very broad. You know, it's not just electricity or cars, it's also uh, cows, it's cement, it's steel, it's planes. And so we have to change all those things to be green, and we only have 30 years. So only if the younger generation worldwide is kind of bothering the politicians and speaking out loudly that morally this is a, a cause that they believe in, only with that, a lot of innovation, some brilliant policies, uh, that's what it'll, what it'll take 
to make this grand transformation. It feels like a, a theoretical conversation though. You know, uh, okay. what I did enjoy in the book is you've laid out steps that you think people can actually take and governments can actually move forward to. What do you think some of the most concrete steps are that we can achieve today that can help us tomorrow? Well, we need to increase our R&D funding on these uh, key topics. We need to have um, more high-risk companies uh, get started who care about these things. And we need the green products, like the green steel, we need demand out there. So as people are bringing those prices down, they get volume. Uh, we've seen with electric cars, uh, the right things are happening. The prices are starting to come down. You know, General Motors said by 2035, they uh, don't think uh, they'll need to make gasoline cars. Uh, so it says that extra cost where you pay a bit more, you give up range, over the next 15 years, that green premium, I call it, will actually go all the way down to zero in that category. And that's uh, amazing. We just need to do that across the dozen or so categories uh, by driving innovation faster than it would normally take place. You know, one of the things that I've always been struck by is how sometimes the conversations are about what needs to be done but then oftentimes there is no buy-in because nobody like sort of wants to do it. And that's why I think like Elon Musk has done a great job with Tesla. Yeah, it's an electric car, but most people don't buy it for that. They buy it because it's super cool, it goes really fast and it's technologically advanced. Are there ways that we can get green energy to grow exponentially by making cool solutions as opposed to telling everyone you need to switch out your, your electricity with a windmill? Well, as you you know, move away from coal, there's a lot of local pollution that affects health very negatively. Uh, so there's big benefits there. As you move to artificial meat, the kind of cruelty to animals uh, that's in involved there and, you know, perhaps, you know, less cholesterol. There are a lot of benefits that come with green products. Sadly, some green products like green cement, it's still just cement. And so the fact that it costs more, you know, the government's got to help uh, create some demand there, right. and so we can right. bring that price down. So, yes, some categories um, can be better products, but steel and cement are kind of this boring thing that we just take for granted. And so we've been working too much on the easy stuff, not enough mm -hmm. on the hard stuff here. Let's talk a little bit about the hard stuff, uh, not just in terms of the products, but uh, about the people who are affected by the products. How do we implement these ideas without discarding the lives that are attached to the old forms of creating energy or food? Well, the key is going to be uh, having lots of new jobs. You know, for example, the electric network will have to get a lot bigger because it's now powering the cars or heating and cooling your uh, house. So that's, you know, it's going to be three times bigger and building all those transmission lines and power plants will be a big deal. Now, that's not to say that some communities that have been really focused on things like oil, they will have a transition. It's a 30-year transition. We still will be using some oil uh, in the decades ahead. And so we have to put into the cost of this transition uh, how we manage those communities that are, are affected. Because right now, there's almost a temptation to deny the problem altogether uh, because if you feel like you're going to be left out of the solution, uh, you just you just want denial. There's also no denying that developing nations are most affected 
by climate change. So you have, you know, farmers in India, farmers in sub-Saharan Africa, where their climates have changed to the point where they can't even grow the food. Is there ever an idea for like a penalty then on the countries that do emit? Because if you're doing a thing like, let's say just on a, on a local level, if I started a fire in my house and the smoke blacked up all of your windows next door, they would, someone would say like, oh, I have to somehow make up for that. Will there ever be a system like that where the biggest polluters enter into a deal and say, we will, we will sort of pay or amend what we're doing to, 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 to poorer countries? Yes, we owe it to these countries uh, to not only mitigate, that is get the emissions down to zero, and that's that huge innovation, but also we need to help them because it will warm up uh, two degrees centigrade, and that really will hurt all their crops, it'll raise the sea level. We owe it to them to help with the adaptation. That includes a generation of seeds that actually can grow in the hotter temperatures and that are more productive so they don't end up with malnutrition and, and will face mass migration from those equatorial areas you know, where the poorest, they are farmers. And right. so the weather hurts them way more uh, than it does us. Although wildfires, sea level rise, you know, even we're gonna find it tough to go outdoors a lot of the, the summer. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.